Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. And Connor, had a couple weeks off for the holidays. Hope you had a good holiday and New Year's off to a good start. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we we had it almost to a T the last time. Um, we were a couple, a couple uh, I, I don't even want to say a couple. We were just kind of pers- a perspective away from having the uh, – the Ohio State take number one, lose to West Virginia, and then pretty much worked out the way we, we planned. Gonzaga's number one, which makes me especially happy. Um, of course. And uh, it was a good holiday. Um, some great games, and we're finally into conference play, which uh, looks to be promising um, in almost every conference. I mean, with the exception of, of one or two, every conference is pretty much wide open. Um, not necessarily in a good way. But, no, I don't uh, think any of them are really wide open in a good way. And I think that's in no place is that seen more than in the ACC conference that's traditionally dominated the sport, especially the past couple of years. And now all the teams at the top, Louisville doesn't look strong. UNC probably won't make the tournament now. But Virginia, the reigning national champs, just suffered a loss to Boston College, which is the latest in a line of very unimpressive performances. And I know they're top 20 in the AP poll. But and I, I, they're not a bubble team or anything like that. But they're not looking at a, a real high seed in the NCAA tournament. They're not a, a, a great team. No, and I think they're top twenty. You could argue for the same reason that Auburn and San Diego State are top ten, which is they they've I mean they've lost. You know the other two are undefeated, but they've they haven't lost enough to really drop them out. And while they have suffered arguably a bad, I mean, a, definitely a bad loss to, to, to South Carolina and arguably a bad loss to Purdue. Um, their, their defense has been so impressive that I think it clouds a lot of the struggles that they've had against other unimpressive teams. Yeah. And, but like you said, I mean, outside of Duke and Florida state, there is not a team in the ACC that is feeling good right now. Um, about their tournament seating or their tournament prospects. No, and it, it's funny because if we would have had the same conversation at, around Thanksgiving when Duke had just lost to Stephen F. Austin, we'd be talking about them as a potential number one team again and the clear-cut favorite in the ACC with nobody else really challenging them. That would have been a laughable thing right then because they had just lost at home to Stephen F. Austin. But since then, they, they've really grown – and I don't know if anybody else in that conference specifically has. No, I, I think you could you could argue that at least Florida State has kind of stayed the course. Um, their their perimeter defenders, with the length they have there, have been solid. Uh, they handled Louisville kind of like a top 10 team versus an outside the top 20 team yeah. should handle. I mean, and we've gotten to that point with, with Louisville where, um, you know, they, they did beat Boston college, but it wasn't a convincing win by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's Jordan or a bust for them. And even against Florida state, he had over 30 and they still couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I mean, where, you know, we've, we've come to realize that Seton hall has kind of figured out how to win even when when Miles Powell struggles. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know that's the Big East, but that's another example of, of a player that is seen as the entire offense for a team. Um, 
Louisville just hasn't figured it out. No, and they're talented. Maybe it takes something. I think Seton Hall benefited from Powell being out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And they had had Mamu's good, Sandro Mamu. They had him out for a while, too. And so they had the other guys that had to step up, and, and they did. They beat Maryland without both those guys, right? which I think was huge for them and the confidence for the rest of that roster. Louisville hasn't had that. The entire season, they've been relying on Nora to do everything. And it's not that they're not a talented team. They're extremely talented. That's why they were top five in the preseason, and they have a lot of other guys who are capable not just of scoring at a high clip, but of, from a talent perspective at least, taking over games and carrying Louisville for stretches. Or you would think be able to carry Louisville for stretches, and they're just not stepping up. They're, they're sort of that Nora crutch that they're kind of falling back on and refusing to figure out something else to, to do. They keep relying on that crutch and just seem unwilling to try anything else. Yeah. And, I mean, if you look at their their wins, the, you know, they, they lost to Texas Tech. They lost to U- Kentucky. They lost to FSU. Their only good win is Michigan. But in that game, they they essentially just let Nora shoot whatever he wanted to shoot and went for yeah. 22 and 12. And, um, and Michigan and it was, had, was, it was like 48 hours from the time that they had played three in Atlantis and were coming back from Atlantis. No, yeah, there were definitely travel things in there, and um, it was, you know, they shot like, what, 26% from the floor or something in that game, so it was a, yeah. it was a bad game. It was um, not like, I mean, I think Louisville shot 30-something, too, so it wasn't like yeah. they played extremely well. They just played much Th- better than that. Much better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in the ACC, you're if you're Boston College or um, Pittsburgh, NC State, Virginia Tech, you're looking at this going – I mean, if, if the ACC is going to get, you know, it's not necessarily a standard number of bids, but a, a five or six bid conference, um, which I think is reasonable, uh, even for a down ACC, you're looking pretty good. Um, you're confident at this point because you're confident you can kind of pick up wins against Louisville and Virginia um, because those two teams don't look great. Yeah. And even Duke and Florida State, you're kind of looking at saying, hey, it, we can pick up a win, and if we start to pick up these wins, we're an NCAA tournament team. Well, it's sort of a double-edged sword with that because if, if you're a Pitt or NC State or, or Boston College and people start getting wins over teams like Louisville, teams like Virginia, those it's not going to look as good of a win be, or look like as good of a win because everybody's going to have that win or more teams will have that win, right? Yeah. I, I'm starting to think there's a really legitimate chance the ACC only gets four teams in. Uh, Duke and Florida State, you know, are going to be – Duke's probably going to be one seed. Florida State will be up there in top five seeds probably. Yeah. I think you could put Louisville in there too, but I could see them falling to a six. Virginia may end up in like the 8-9 game mm-hmm. where they're playing right now. Um, but outside of that, UNC – I think has clearly shown, even with Cole Anthony, if he decides to come back, that they're a fringe tournament team at best. Yeah. They, they, they would need it to be a very, very weak bubble year. NC State hasn't shown any consistency and hasn't picked up any real notable wins yet. Nope. And then, and you know, after that, you look at Pitt, but Pitt's just as inconsistent and has some really bad losses. Uh, the loss to Nichols really stands out on their resume. Boston College is... Nine and six, uh, and not great. Um, it's kind of funny we're talking about Boston College as a potential 
team because of where they are in the ACC, that tells us a little something. Syracuse, yeah. same way. You know, they, they've got some bad losses and haven't looked great as well. Uh, before the year started, I think we, we talked about there being six teams we looked at as having legitimate chances in, in those first six, the Duke, Florida State, Virginia, Louisville, UNC, and NC State. Mm-hmm. And everyone else kind of stepped behind. I think UNC and NC State have fallen down that step behind, and nobody, at least of yet, has stepped into that role. Like there's, there's still a pretty clear cut, uh, in my opinion, at least from those top four teams with the rest of the conference. Yeah, and and, and Virginia's, um, you know, they're not slipping. Uh, it's not like they've you know lost a bunch in a row, but there's no win that Virginia has. Um, the Arizona State win looks not impressive the Syracuse win doesn't look impressive um Virginia Tech is probably their most impressive win right now maybe well, they, got, they got UNC with Cole Anthony it was Cole Anthony's last game yeah but I mean even even then UNC was was not a great right. win right so well, that's the thing none yeah. of these are, are great wins yeah um and really I mean if we're, we're talking about great wins the only team in the conference with great wins right now is Duke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Florida State, if you want to count a fully healthy Tennessee team, if you want to count Purdue based on a Ken Palm rating, if you want to count Louisville, Louisville, yeah. Louisville on the road, then you, you count on those. But um, I agree. I mean, Duke's the only one who has an unequivocally – has some unequivocally great wins that are going to carry them. Yeah, that's I, why they're number two in the country. Yeah, I mean they beat two legitimate top ten teams. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I mean it's it is what it is. I'm not necessarily crying about it. Um, and Duke has the front runner for national player of the year, and I don't know if it's it's all that close right now. Um, I mean it, it's close, but I, I don't know if. Uh, if anyone's going to catch him as long as Duke keeps winning. Um, yeah. It, it, Vernon Carey ha- has been really good. And I think he's, I don't want to say, I, I feel like me saying this is going to diminish what he's done. And I don't mean it to be that way at all, but I feel like he's kind of there by default. There's nobody who has really stepped up and sort of seized that mantle. Um, you know, no one's going to do it the same way Zion Williamson did last year, but even the Jalen Brunson year, the Buddy Heald year, there were, you know, they, stepped up and seized the role and kind of took over the consciousness from a countrywide standpoint as being like, yeah, he's at, he's up there as the leader in the national player of the year race. I mean, this year carry is the closest thing we've come to that, but you still got guys who are backing Cassius Winston, the Michigan state's recent play. You still got guys who are, who are backing Obi Toppin because of how good Dayton's been and how good he's been specifically. Um, we could jump over to the Big East again and talk about Miles Miles Powell at Seton Hall. He was that guy early on in the year at injuries that sort of kept him back. Um, he, I mean, he could get back in that race if Seton Hall keeps keeps winning the way they are. You got people on the West Coast backing Peyton Pritchard um, with Oregon. I, I I agree with you. I think Carey is in that role, but I don't think it's uh, and it's certainly far from a sure deal right now. No, I mean. I don't think there's anything in college basketball that right now that's a sure deal. Um, let, let's jump over to the Big East while we're on that topic. Yeah. Um, Providence is now 3-0. and um, 
after being perhaps the most disappointing team outside of Florida in the non-conference. Yep. Um, Butler has an, a strong argument to be ranked. Um, they have they have a strong argument right now and are, and are probably the number one overall seed in the tournament if the tournament were to start tomorrow. Um, oh, absolutely. We, we were talking before, before the little pre-show meeting. They are a one-point loss at Baylor, a last-second really loss at Baylor from being undefeated. Right. And us having a very different conversation about them. Because if, if that happens, I think they're a, a clear-cut, near-unanimous number one over a Gonzaga. Yeah. No, I I think that they'd be over Gonzaga. They'd be over – I mean, I have them right now um, third. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have Duke and Gonzaga over them um, just because I – all else equal, I think that those two teams are probably a little a step ahead but, of Butler in terms of talent. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Butler has performed as you would expect from a number one team. Yeah, and they've been consistent. Right. Which is something that no one else outside of Gonzaga, Auburn, and San Diego State have been. Yep. Um. But yeah, Seton Hall's also undefeated. They're the third team that hasn't lost yet um, in Big or Big East play. Uh, they, well, when by the time this gets out, they'll play Wednesday night uh, against at Xavier, um, which isn't an easy game. Uh, and I know Xavier has their issues. Villanova's sliding down as well. They've been underwhelming. And I know they haven't had Brian Antoine for really any of the season at this point, but they've been really underwhelming. Well, and that was our key for them, really, was, was yeah. the health of Brian Antoine. So um, the fact that he's not been available and they're not looking, you know, outside of that win against, uh, you know, at home against Kansas, um, they haven't looked outstanding. Um, Marquette, I mean, Marcus Howard, for as much as, as he's kind of been overlooked, um, and even, you know, even in the loss to Providence, Marcus Howard played well. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them next year when he's gone. Uh, it, they're going to fall off the map. Yeah. Um, De- DePaul's kind of starting to come back to earth. Georgetown's starting to come back to earth. St. John's is starting to come back to earth. Um, not not yeah. that surprising. Uh, that said. I think the Big East is in the best position um, bid-wise of any conference of any conference in the country. Yeah, I, I think you're looking at six for sure. Uh, St. John's, you know, maybe or Georgetown's probably the bottom of that barrel. Yeah, I would say DePaul, if they keep struggling, like this is probably on the outside looking in right now on the bubble. Yep. Uh, Providence, just with their non-conference, certainly has some work to do. Um, but everybody else has a legitimate shot. Yeah. And I mean, and those, like all 10 teams really have a legitimate shot at this point, given the way Providence is playing right now in conference play. Cause they've, they've racked up some good wins. I, I think six, you get over half. That's kind of what you're looking at. Cause as you mentioned, the, the Georgetown, DePaul's St. John's probably going to come back to earth a little bit. Um, but that may be as much, as any conference in the country, including the Big 12, uh, maybe the Big 10, but the Big 10 could be one that I think that could send, you know, could send a, a decent number. Yeah, I, I think the Big 10 probably gets the most in. Um, 
but the bottom of the Big Ten, uh, and we can talk about the bottom of the Big Ten, is not fantastic. Um, and so they'll probably get the most tournament teams. You know, you've got Michigan State, Maryland, Penn State, and, and Michigan all look like, and Ohio State, those five. Don't, for, don't forget Rutgers. <laughs> those five look like legitimate uh, tournament teams. Um uh, Rutgers. I mean, here's the thing is that if we were to talk uh, about a team that's kind of looking like a good win and a bad loss, Wisconsin is that team. Yes. <laughs> they will be pointed at because of their, their Kempom rating, because of their net. Um, they'll be looked at as a, a decent win or a good win if you beat them on the road. Uh, but people will point, you know, if you lose to Wisconsin at home, They'll point to that loss. Do you Just, think Wisconsin gets in? I I think Wisconsin has a better than fifty percent shot at getting in. Um, and, and if you had asked me that, you know, a month ago, I, I would have said there's no no chance that they get in, um, especially you know coming off that three game losing streak, uh, Richmond, New Mexico, NC State. Um, and they lost at Rutgers, but, um, I mean, Rutgers is good, so it's fine. Yeah. But I mean, they do have a win against Marquette. Um, they do have a win against Tennessee and Indiana, which aren't great wins, but they're, they're wins. And they have that win at Ohio Ohio state, which I think definitely boosts their resume. Um, if they can win, you know, one more road game against, uh, Penn state, Michigan state or Michigan, and just not lose any bad games in the Big Ten, I think they can get in. I think they can. I, I'm looking at the Big Ten, and I, just based on their talent level compared to everybody else, I still lean on them more towards being out. Yeah. From the standpoint of, yeah, you have those five. You have Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, Ohio State as locks. They're probably going to get top four, top five seeds. I think you throw Penn State I think and throw, Iowa. I think you throw Penn State in there. You throw Iowa in there. Um, I, I think you throw Rutgers in there at this point as being yeah. a tournament team. So that gives you seven right there, and we haven't gotten into the Indianas or Illinois teams that have solid records but are, are probably going to get in based on qual- just number of quantity of wins more than quality of wins. Yeah, I would put both of them in, so that gives you nine. Yeah. And, you know, Wisconsin could certainly go in over a Indiana or more likely an Illinois based on – kind of how the rest of the season goes but i would take indiana and illinois over wisconsin i think yeah i think at this point i would take indiana illinois i do think that we're starting to see wisconsin become a better team than indiana and illinois Um, and and michael potter becoming eligible has played a major role in that they haven't lost since since he's been able to step on the court for them yeah so i mean it's going to take a lot of work and they're going to have to finish towards the top of the big 10 to get in Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not impossible uh, you know, it's not like they're a Northwestern or a Nebraska. Um, I mean, yeah. I'd put them right now in the same category as a Purdue. You know, they're they're just kind of there. Um, not really a tournament team, but but not not quite dead in the water yet. Right. Yeah, it, the the middle of the Big Ten is going to be a lot of fun this year, and I think they they could cause some some havoc at the the top the the regular season championship race, so to speak, 
but I don't think there's going to be a regular season race as exciting as the Big 12. No, not no. We got Candace and Baylor up there who play each other this weekend. That's going to be a ton of fun. Texas Tech is going to be a factor in that, you know, as well. Um, And then you got other talented teams in there that could throw a monkey wrench into things. West Virginia. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you got you got four teams that you could legitimately pick to win and and have a valid argument for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I. It's it's interesting because I think that Baylor definitely has the best win um, between them and Kansas. And I would probably take their top two or three wins over Kansas. Um, and and there, it looks like they might beat Texas Tech while we're, we're recording this. But, you know, outside of that loss at Virginia and that early loss to Duke, um, I mean, Kansas has just beaten a ton of solid probable tournament teams you know they beat byu they beat dayton they beat colorado they beat stanford they beat west virginia um and and, you know playing in in philadelphia against villanova is a tough task and they only lost by one and then they only lost by two to duke um whereas baylor you know lost by three to washington which is the worst of the three losses um so Kansas also has the benefit in a, in a tight race like this. And that's why they won so many in a row, won 14 in a row, is because of the home court advantage they have. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, you can count on them to the fence. Maybe one team gets them at Allen Fieldhouse, but that's going to be it yeah. in conference play. And you're going to have – Baylor's going to have to defend their home court, which isn't a huge advantage for them. Texas Tech's going to have to, but they're going to be – the team they are now is not going to be who they are in March. We've seen them progress a ton. Right. Uh, West, West Virginia is hit or miss every game just because their offense is so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, the one that's I, I think what's helped Kansas this year more so than anything. I, I don't think they're overwhelming talent wise, but they are con- they consistently play above average. Right. And this year, that's extremely valuable. Right, and and they're solid on both ends of the floor. Um, they're yeah. not. They're not. They don't have a glaring weak, weakness on defense or offense. Um, and I like the big. I mean, I always like the Big Twelve regular season race because the Big Twelve and the and the Big East because there are ten team conferences. Um, the you feel like the race is truly a test of which team is the best in the conference because um, scheduling doesn't factor into it. Right. <laughs> um, so, and we can get to, to scheduling uh, later when we talk about, you know, the, the West Coast conferences. But, I, I mean, I like Baylor. I think Kansas is better set up to beat Gonzaga and Duke um, based purely on the fact that they can compete legitimately, you know, 40 minutes inside with the bigs for for yeah. Gonzaga and Duke. Yeah, and, you know, Ozbuki is a load. He's got his limitations, but he does what he does really well. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of people in the country can defend him. And I think somebody like that who you can go to counts. Having a point guard like Devin Dotson, who yeah. has still been a little inconsistent, but when he plays at a high level, um, 
is really, really tough to deal with. And I think the role players have been more consistent than we've expected them to be once they've figured out sort of their, their big man rotation and the limitations of playing two of them at one time. Again, they're, they're solid. They're not going to blow you away like some Kansas teams have. They're more just going to gradually chip away at you the same way I think the Spurs used to, where yeah. you know they're not going to go on a, a 20-0 run, but they're going to beat you by five points every 10 minutes. And then the end of the game is a 20-point game. And you don't yeah. feel like you got blown out. You just kind of got gradually, gradually beaten down. Yeah, I mean they have they have seven legitimate players that they can play before you'd reach a player where you would want them taking a shot, right? Like if you're a defense, there are seven players where you know you need to be on them, and then you get to the player like Tristan and Aruna. Um, but but before that, I mean even even Christian Braun can score at a semi consistent rate, and so mm-hmm. it's it's tough to defend. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, they're good. Baylor, West Virginia, and Texas Tech all play excellent defense. Mm-hmm. But again, having Allen Fieldhouse, having Kansas across your chest means something, and having, um, I think, the added motivation of not winning it last year. Yep, like that group doesn't want to not win it again. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can, I think, look at a blip on the radar and kind of get back on the right track. But like, if if you're Devin Dotson your first two years there, you're going to be the first guy in a decade and a half to not have a big 12 championship on your resume through two years. Yep. You know, he doesn't want that, but I, you know, I don't know the, the race is going to be a lot of fun to watch there. It's probably going to be a lot of fun to watch in the sec for a different reason. It's going to be fun to watch in the sec for the same reason as it's going to be fun to watch in the ACC, which is, well, the SEC doesn't have a Duke because Kentucky's not that great. Well, no. I mean, right now, um, I don't think – I mean, and and it's time to talk about, I mean, as mediocre or as slightly above average as I think Auburn is, um, they have had the most, you know, consistent play. Um, mm-hmm. Kentucky's been wildly inconsistent. Florida – who's now 2-0 and in SEC play. I mean, talk about the disappointing non-conference teams. And granted, it's against Alabama and, and, South, and at South Carolina, but I, I thought for sure South Carolina would win that game uh, going into it. Um, yeah, that was a, um, for me at least, was going to be a telling game for whether South Carolina was going to make that leap I thought they would make. That would be the game where it kind of started. Yep. And uh, didn't happen. Lots of stupid turnovers. But yeah, there's there's two there's two teams at the top of the SEC that I think can win it. Because um, LSU looks like a tournament team, kind of, maybe, sometimes. Uh, LSU our, has a talent, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just, again, consistency. Consistency, consistency, consistency. They... Uh, their losses at VCU and and home to Utah State. If you told me those were their losses preseason, um, two of their four. I mean, they did lose mm-hmm. to ETSU and, and USC. But if you told me those were their two first two losses, I would have said, "Oh, great! Those are two legitimate teams." Yeah. Um, those losses are not looking as good now as they were preseason. Nope. So, and they they did beat Liberty, although it is also Liberty. 
Um, that may end up being a quad one win, man. Who knows? Liberty <laughs> might end the season with that being their only loss, and suddenly it looks a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I think they will probably end the season with that being their only loss, too. So. No. Um, but, but outside of Auburn and Kentucky, Arkansas hasn't played. I mean, talk about not playing anybody. Arkansas is 12-1. and one. Their worst loss is Western Kentucky, and their best win is Indiana. Um, yeah. And their second best win is what Georgia Tech, probably yeah. Tulsa. And that was that was an <laughs> over, that was an overtime too. Yeah. That's what's going to be fun about the SEC is because Kentucky is going to be there again because of home court advantage and because of the talent advantage that they're going to have, uh, despite their limitations. Mm-hmm. Auburn has been the most consistent team, and we've talked about uh, as I said before. Consistency is a valuable trait mm-hmm. and it's that is being really accentuated this year because of how wildly inconsistent everybody is yep and so you know auburn's top five top ten in the country because they're consistent and for nothing else they're they're a good team they're a solid team but we don't know how good they are because they haven't played anybody yeah right uh, florida could turn things around but i i don't trust them to do so at this point but they have the talent too uh, LSU has a talent too. Tennessee was in the mix until Lamonte Turner um, decided to have surgery and he's not playing again this year. And Tennessee looks horrible. But then you have the the teams like Arkansas, like um, Georgia. I'll throw Georgia in there if Anthony Edwards, you know, gets hot and keeps keeps this thing going. They could not play a role in terms of winning it, but could play a role in beating teams and helping determine who wins it. It could be a year where, you know, some teams split it with five, six, seven conference losses. Yeah, no, and and I think the Georgia is a perfect example of this, or not Georgia. Well, Georgia is a perfect example of this, but the SEC is a perfect example of this. Which I don't think the SEC is going to get, you know, an abnormally low number of tournament bids. You know, there'll probably be four or five bids, um, yeah. but there are only two maybe three if you want to throw lsu in there teams that are you can say are going to be ncaa tournament like that right now are ncaa tournament teams um yeah and they're gonna be sort of that mid-tier like you know a lot of the 7 10 8 9 games are normally a mid-tier power conference team against a quality at large mid-major team Mm mm-hmm like I point to last year's Seton Hall Wofford game as a good example of that. This is the first thing that comes to mind. This year, those games are going to be between two mid-tier, very iffy power conference teams. Yes, because the mid-majors I think have proven, at least for the resume standpoint, that they're probably going to be a step above and may get some of those six, eleven, maybe even five, twelve games. Yep. There's just going to be a lot of just power conference teams battling out in the first round with us wondering if they're good or not. <laughs> well, yeah. And perfect I mean the perfect moving on from from the SEC, a conference that just is quietly kind of building itself up to have a relatively high number of bids um especially compared to the past few years, but compared to other power conferences is the Pac-12. Oh, yeah. If you were to ask me right now, uh Oregon's a lock to make the oh, yeah. NCAA yeah, tournament. Absolutely. I think we've gotten to the point right now where we can reasonably argue that Colorado's a lock 
to make the NCAA tournament. Yes. Um, yes. I was off that train until they, they beat Dayton and then Oregon. I know they just lost Oregon State, but um, those wins will carry them, and they'll play at a decent enough level to where they'll get in. And then you, you have teams that aren't locks um, to get in, uh, but Arizona, USC, Stanford are all you know there with enough wins, and none of their losses are glaringly bad. Um, mm. So all three should get in. Um, and then, and then you know, you've got the the Utahs and the and the Washingtons that might not have the best um, resumes overall, but Utah has a win over BYU and a win over Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington has that win over Baylor, and um, you know they, they they beat USC the other day, and so they're setting themselves up. I I I'm leaning more towards five, but they're setting themselves up pretty well to have a solid contingent. Um, I think I said six in the preseason, and that's probably a good number to stick with. Although, again, you're going to get Oregon as a top seed. You probably get Colorado sneaking up there maybe on the sixth line, but you're going to get a lot of those teams kind of in that bubble, not bubble range, but that kind of mid-tier seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah range at least at least in my mind there's nobody there's not a lot of quality teams um who can consistently at least play at the level that Oregon can right i mean yeah you you've got a bunch of teams that have a lot of wins um with no real good wins and yep. you have a bunch of, and you have a two you know teams two to three teams that have been struggling that have one major win um on their resume so mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be fun to watch, and I and I think that that's a conference where Oregon is pretty safely the best team in that conference. You know, I, I know they did lose mm-hmm. to Colorado, um, but they've never won. Yeah, I mean, Boulder is one of, if not the toughest, just just pure geographically toughest places to play. So, yeah. Um, so the Pac-12 looks good. Uh, I'm I'm feeling confident about my one bid Mountain West take from preseason. Uh, but it's U- just going to be San Diego State, not Utah State. Yeah. <laughs> um, Utah State has been looking really meh uh, the past couple of weeks. And, yeah. And Kata coming back didn't really help the way I thought it would. I think they still have a shot as an at-large if they can – kind of hold serve in the Mountain West because of the preseason expectations that yep. were on them and because we know Kate is good and because we know Merrill's good and because of how weak the bubble is going to be. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chance the committee is like, yeah, we, we we think they're good because they were good last year and they were okay this year. So let's put them in a first four game. Yeah, I could I... see that kind of being the Mountain West path to assuming nobody claims, nobody random claims the automatic bid. To getting to getting two bids, I I think that they have to be rooting for. They either have to beat San Diego State on the road, um, mm-hmm. or they have to be rooting for Florida or LSU to make the tournament. Because if yeah. you get into that conversation where they have not beaten an NB, an NCAA tournament team um, and have lost to the two or three, depending on whether if BYU and or 
St. Mary's gets in, um, mm-hmm. their resume is just not even close to a, an NCAA tournament resume without a win over San Diego State or without Florida and or right. LSU making the tournament. So LSU, I think, will make the tournament, which will make their resume a little bit better, but it, it just I think I, Yeah, I think Florida will too. Again, just the SEC, there's not a lot of you know teams at the top there that can challenge Florida or LSU talent-wise, mm-hmm. which puts Utah State in a good spot. Um, but I think the Mountain West could put them in a good spot too. Those the games against BYU, St. Mary's, uh, Gonzaga, obviously lock. They probably locked up the one seed in the West. I already. I don't know about that. I mean, if if San Diego State goes undefeated in the Mountain West and Gonzaga drops a game, and, and not necessarily a game to BYU or St. Mary's, but if they, let's say they lose at home to one of those yeah. two teams, I think that San Diego State deserves the the one seed in the West and. And I don't think people in Spokane would be that upset about it. Um, a, a number two seed in the West would still get them the first yeah. round in Spokane. They'd still go to LA for the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Um, you just you'd have to face the number the three seed in the Sweet 16 as opposed to the four seed. But what what would you do? This just came to my mind. If Gonzaga wins Mountain West, maybe they drop a game or two along the way. San Diego, or sorry, wins the West Coast. San Diego State wins the Mountain West, drops a game or two along the way, and Oregon wins the Pac-12. Who do you give the one seed in the West to? For me, I think it would depend on on the games they dropped. Um, let's say let's say Gonzaga loses at St. Mary's and drops one to BYU. Okay. And let's say San Diego State loses at home to Utah State and then drops another one along the way, maybe at New Mexico. I'd probably lean Gonzaga in that situation um, just because I think in terms of, you know, no one's obviously no one's uh, wins, you know, wins now look all that great except for, right. you know, Oregon's over Seton Hall, Gonzaga's over Oregon. And um, I mean, Oregon over Michigan with a fully healthy Michigan was or, was pretty good, but. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's where the Gonzaga-Oregon head-to-head could come into play. Yeah, I think the Gonzaga-Oregon head-to-head and their common opponent, UNC. Because I yep. do think that the, the committee has shown in the past that they're willing to look at injuries um, as reasons for losing or dropping yep. a game. And yep. so their games against Michigan might not take the same weight. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not saying that's the right or wrong thing to do. I'm just saying that after the Bonzi Colson situation, you know, a couple losses here or there because of major injuries, and, and Gonzaga was playing that game hurt. The um, Bonzi Colson situation makes me think Cole Anthony could come back March 1st. UNC could be five games under 500, and they could be like, well, maybe they're on the bubble because they were okay with Cole Anthony. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I would I would probably lean Gonzaga, the one seed in the West. Oregon in that situation, Oregon, the two seed in the West. Um, and then that might mean that San Diego State shipped to a different region. That's going to be interesting to see, I think, because there's a really there's a very real possibility because of the lack of top teams that we could see two teams from the West Coast beyond that one line. Yeah. And then I think you get into a conversation, especially if a team like Gonzaga gets the number one overall seed, right? Would you rather be a one seed in the Midwest or the South or the East? Or 
drop several seed lo- or drop several overall spots and stay out west and be the two seed. Uh, like I, I think yeah. that's that would be an interesting conversation to have for Oregon and especially San Diego State. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think they're gonna they're gonna drop and and I do think that um, San Diego State would probably benefit a little bit more from playing in Los Angeles than Oregon, not because Oregon wouldn't benefit from playing on the West Coast. I just think that San Diego State, with, with the proximity to to Los Angeles would be a little bit uh, would want to have that two seed as opposed to the one seed. Yeah, um, and I I also think um, not not to knock San Diego State's fan base, but I I think Oregon's and Gonzaga's fan base is probably travel a little bit better. They do. I mean, Oregon's fan base travels insanely, and and, and Gonzaga's is always there. So right. Um. But yeah, I mean the West Coast Conference, the top four teams pretty much look like they're locked in. Uh, I think it's I think Gonzaga's going to finish one, um, barring some catastrophic failure. BYU looks like the second best team and probably the only other tournament team. Yeah, uh, St. Mary's is the third best team, and the way Pacific's schedule lays out, Pacific <laughs> is going to finish in fourth. Um, unless they just collapse, they play Gonzaga once they play BYU once they picked up a win against St. Mary's and they only play St. Mary's one more time, obviously. Mm. Um, and, and then you, then you kind of get into the, the two teams that I thought were going to be eh, this year in, in Santa Clara and Portland are looking like competitors. You know, they're not going to win, but they're right. looking like competitors, San Francisco and Pepperdine. Well, Pepperdine looks like a Lorenzo Romar coached team and San Francisco just looks like they got a new head coach and they lost their best point guard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and, and outside of that, every other conference is either a bunch of teams that may or may not win. Um, you know, Vermont doesn't necessarily look like it's definitively going to win the American, the America East, which, you know, it has looked like that the past couple yeah. of years. I think I think you could look at the A10 as maybe being the uh, the other conference that could be interesting. Yeah, Dayton's the clear front runner, obviously, but VCU is right there, and I know they've fallen a little bit short of expectations to this point. But playing that defense, the style they play, the experience they have, they're going to be tough. They're probably going to get in the tournament as well. I would say. But then you have the, whoever that third team in the A10 ends up being, whether it's Rhode Island, whether it's Richmond, um, kind of filling in that role that we thought Davidson was going to have because Davidson has fallen off the map and been terrible this year. Yeah, they're they're a conference that is going to get multiple bids, could get three, depending on how Richmond and Rhode Island kind of do down the stretch and how they perform in the conference tournament. Yeah, I, I, I'm leaning three um, with Richmond getting in they got to put 68 teams in yeah so that that works that would work in the a10's favor in this case i'm I'm looking at three for the a10 i'm looking at three for the american um with houston wichita state and memphis getting in uh i take an argument if smu performs like the fourth best team but they don't have Mm -hmm. any real wins on their resume right now for me to say that they're an ncaa tournament team Cincinnati's probably not going to get in. Uh, UConn's definitely not going to get in. I think the with the American, you could look at those three that are going to get in. Yep. 
and th- think that they have second weekend potential. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it, it, again, it, it comes down to matchups, but all three teams have won games against teams with second weekend potential. Memphis doesn't have James Wiseman, but they have talent everywhere. A lot of long athletes play really fast. Again, a, a style that can cause problems. Yep. Wichita State plays excellent defense and is very experienced and goes 10-11 deep. That's going to give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. And then Houston is Houston. Yep. The, the way they've played the last couple of years, uh, very perimeter-oriented, have some really good athletic guards. And uh, Kelvin Sampson, I think, has proven once again that he's one of the better coaches in the country. Yeah. No, and and, and Coach of the Year, um, that, that race is going to be interesting as well. That may be the most interesting of all of them. Yeah. Because I... You know, give it to Laval Jordan right now, I think, at Butler. I, I don't but, think it's close right now, but if Butler drops, you know, three or four four games, one or two that they shouldn't, and Duke runs the table or um, San Diego State runs the table, I think then you, you have to have, like, a, a serious discussion uh, there. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, every other conference, I mean, the Big West – uh, looks like UC Santa Barbara or bust. You know, it looks like they're going to run the Big West, um, at least heading in to, to conference play. They haven't yet started games. Uh, conference USA has looked meh. I mean, there, there's not really mm-hmm. a a, uh, a team that, that jumps out at me as being um, all that great. And I know people were... You know, griping about the UTEP loss uh, to FIU, but that was without their head coach. And uh, FIU actually looks halfway decent this year. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, are we going with Louisiana Tech in, in the CUSA? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> but, you know, eh, who, who can say? No. Though, it, Early on in the season, I think everyone was on board with UTEP, and now it's pretty clearly Louisiana Tech. And so things, you know, it's still early January. Things things will change again by February. They yeah. could swing back to UTEP. They could go to FIU. Who knows? Yeah. Harvard has at least started winning in the Ivy. Um, yep. Or not in the Ivy. They haven't started games yet, but they, they beat, you know, they went to the Bay Area, beat Cal and, and San Francisco, and they beat uh, UC Irvine, and the Ivy's a, a two-team race, I think, right now. Um, or I don't think. I know it's a two-team race between yeah. Yale and Harvard. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know with some of these conferences. It's even the Missouri Valley. I mean, Northern Iowa's looked good. They, I had them ranked for a good portion of the at the end of December. But they've gotten into conference play and have have laid a couple eggs. Yeah, I mean they didn't win convincingly at home against Bradley or or uh, Indiana State, and they obviously lost on the road at an Illinois State team that's not good. Um, yeah, and I mean their win against Colorado is is really what sticks out, and they competed with West Virginia. Um, so they're, they're a team that I think 
will make the NCAA tournament and might be a popular, you know, 13-4, 12-5 upset. As um, they should. So, As they should be. Yeah. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, outside of Northern Iowa and Liberty, because I think those would probably be the two biggest upset picks, um, is there any other, you know, true mid-major, low-major teams that you're looking at as, like, they, they could legitimately pull off a win in March? I think Harvard could. Um, we talked about them a little bit. But they're, even without um, Bryce Aiken, they're extremely deep, and they're extremely deep with power conference talent and size. Mm-hmm. They're, they have a roster full Tommy Amaker has done a fantastic job there recruiting-wise. He's landed guys over power conference schools, guys who are being recruited to go play in the ACC, in the Big East. Um, now, obviously, these aren't blue-chip talents, but a, a good portion of them are fringe top 100, top 150 guys, guys Ivy League schools normally don't get. Right. Um, that And just it's a program that has experience being in there, Amaker has experience being in there. Um, they're, and they're an experienced team, so they have experienced size, talent, they're going to go up against one of these power conference teams that hasn't proven themselves, really. Um, I could see them in the right matchup, winning a game, maybe even two. That that would be the team I'd look for outside of the traditional VCU, Dayton, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, San Diego State kind of deal. Yep. yep. Do you think that... Um... Stephen F. Austin wins enough games to put themselves in a spot to have a seed that's conducive to make to to upsetting, you know, a, a thirteen seed or or even a fourteen seed, uh, um, where they could pull off an upset. The, the Duke one is going to get them probably at least a fourteen seed because if you put the, you know if you're going to go resumes between auto bids, that's something that's going to you know put you certainly over any team that's in line for a 16 seed and probably any that's in line for a 15 seed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the three seeds aren't going to be that strong this year. Mm-hmm. You remember a couple of years ago, there were two 15 seed or two 15 seeds that won um, when Norfolk state beat Missouri and then Lehigh beat Duke. We could be in a, situ- a year where we see another 15 win, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, heck 16 could win again. And that wouldn't necessarily surprise me depending on who the one seed would be. Yeah. Um, the upsets, I think, are going to come from everywhere this year. So, in that sense, yes. But I, I do think that Duke win certainly gives them an advantage and is going to put them on a more traditional upset line, like a fourteen over three or a thirteen over a four. Right. Yeah, I, I think you know this season's definitely looking like it's going to just get messed up, um, you know, before March even begins. Uh, we probably are talking about at least, you know, if if we're thinking right now that the top four seeds are Butler, Duke, Kansas, and Gonzaga, Mm -hmm. we're looking at a situation in which at least two of those teams aren't aren't the top-line seeds heading into March. Um, Yeah. and, And I think... So many people are going to be upset that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to be upset. 
<laughs> right. Uh, and and this is where I truly think head-to-head matchups don't really matter. And I know, you know, I, I released my, um, what, my, my WCC rankings immediately after that four-overtime game between St. Mary's and Pacific. And, of course, Pacific mm-hmm. fans were upset because I had them at four behind St. Mary's at three. I released my uh, Pac-12 power rankings, and I had uh, Colorado behind Oregon despite the head-to-head. But, I mean, there's not a team other than maybe Butler-Baylor. There's not a team or a a pair of teams you look at. I guess not Butler-Baylor. I guess Kansas-Duke might be a better example of this. Two Mm -hmm. teams where the head-to-head might actually be a legitimate tiebreaker. Right. Um. Yeah, there there are so many, I think, and people are still in football mode, and in football there's not as many games, and nobody plays kind of similar opponents. You're looking at that head-to-head a lot more. And we, I've, we've we talked about this on, on the podcast, about how kind of the football mentality impacts the way people talk about basketball, wrongfully yeah. so. Um, and I think this is kind of one of those times where it's like, we'll beat them head-to-head. And it's like, yeah, well, you also lost to Cal State Northridge, and uh, in North Texas this week, and they went and beat Duke and Michigan State. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, it's certainly a factor when you're comparing teams on like planes, but in college basketball, there are so many other data points that it's rare you get those teams on the same plane. No, absolutely. Because um, it's, you know, why is, why is a head-to-head win – uh, between Duke and Kansas or Butler and Baylor worth any more than a head-to-head win between, you know, Steve, Stephen F. Austin and Duke. I mean, obviously, right. it doesn't matter there. Stephen F. Austin's right. win over Duke matters, but it's not going to put them over Duke. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think now we can get into, you know, we've got a couple minutes left. Uh, one bold take, and, and I don't even want to say hot take or, or bold prediction because we've I, we, I've we've reached the point— them. We've nailed them. <laughs> I've reached the point where nothing seems bold anymore. <laughs> no, not since Tristan came on and said Kansas State was making the Elite Eight. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing, nothing, seems, nothing seems bold anymore. Uh, because, you know, we, we've seen UCLA go into Seattle and beat UW. We've seen uh, Oregon State go into Boulder and, and beat Colorado. We've seen um, Boston College beat uh, Virginia, Virginia without scoring sixty-five points. I might add, and without, and without their two best players. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I guess mine would be that I don't. I think. To, and I don't know who they'll lose to or who they'll be above, uh, but mm-hmm. I think Tulane has a legitimate shot at finishing third in the American. Okay. I, hunters. Yeah, I mean, I, they lost at Memphis, um, and the win over Cincinnati wasn't you know, incredibly convincing, uh, but they have wins on that schedule that are similar to Houston's, I think. Um, and Tashawn Hightower is, you know, one of the, I would argue, one of the most important players 
for his team in the country. Yeah, I like that. I I don't. I think they could finish top half. I don't. I think top three might be a bit of a stretch. That that's the bold part. That's the bold I think part. They, I think they could finish top half. I, I've had to up um, my game since. Uh... <laughs> Mine. Um, I'll give one just for the week. Um, I think after Thursday night, I think Peyton Pritchard is the front runner for National Player of the Year. Okay. I think he is going to dismantle Arizona and take advantage of Nico Mannion's terrible defense mm-hmm. and have a, a big game against a marquee opponent on national TV. I think Bill Walton's probably calling that game. So with Bill Walton calling the game, I think he's going to have one of those kind of moments um, where he, he just goes nuts. And he's had a couple of them, but they haven't been um, – he hasn't had the stage all to himself, so to speak. He'll have he'll have that Thursday night, and a lot of people will be tuning in because it's Oregon, Arizona. And, and I think at the end of it, he's looking at uh, at being the fronter in that race, or at least on par with Vernon Carey. Okay. I'm also Thursday. I'm very excited for Memphis, Wichita State. I think whoever wins that game is going to win the American. Since we're giving season-long American bowl predictions here. <laughs> I think whoever wins that game Thursday ends up winning the conference. Yeah, I am. I'm going to be heading uh, out to Moraga on Thursday to watch BYU St. Mary's, which should there be, you go. should be a good one because I think that game, um, at least for at least for BYU, that game could seal them as not necessarily a lock, but um, you know th- that game would go a long way in getting them a bid. Yeah, and and getting that two seed in the WCC tournament is going to be huge, just because of the way they have their conference tournament set up. Yeah, no, that that two seed is that I mean, auto bid to the semis is huge. Uh, right, I like I like the way the way the WCC does their conference tournament as a mid major model, but yeah. that's probably that's a, that's another topic for another day. Yeah, no, that's sure. a March topic. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think I think we're good. I think the. Uh... This week will be interesting because there's a lot of good matchups um, in conference play. A lot of, of not necessarily top 25 matchups, but but NCAA tournament caliber matchups. We'll close with this since we won't have another podcast by the time this happens. LSU or Clemson? Who's winning the football national championship? I I still think I think that LSU is far and away the best football team in the country this year. Um, I was, it was interesting to see Ohio state pass them for that period of time because mm-hmm. they had, they had the best wins um, of any team in the country. They played the best football of any team in the country. I would go as far as to argue that they had the best quarterback play. I mean, obviously he won the Heisman uh, of yeah. any team in the country and while Clemson did beat Ohio State, I think Clemson was built to beat Ohio State. Um, but I think that their matchup or mismatches are not going to work as well against LSU. So, so I'm going to go with LSU, and I'm probably going to say, uh, let's go f- five points, four points. When I cover basketball, I try and stay very um... – unbiased and I, I view the teams as being very different so I try and do 
I think I do basketball. I make myself very unbiased and an objective observer. Football's a little bit different for me, having gone to South Carolina and being at an SEC school. So I will be rooting hard for LSU because I I don't know if I can deal with another Clemson national championship <laughs> in football. And I think if it was anybody else, I would go overwhelmingly LSU. But the fact that it's Clemson and they've been here and they just they seem to to win these games have a knack for these games makes me nervous i'm still gonna go with lsu because i you know people i've heard people be concerned about how lsu is going to handle clemson's defense to which i counter that lsu has handled alabama's defense they've handled auburn's defense they've handled georgia's defense they've handled uh a&m's defense they've handled they've they've handled florida's defense they've handled these kind of defenses all season long so i'm still gonna go lsu but i am i'm i'm very nervous yeah and, and as far as the defense thing, because everyone's going to point to, oh, well, they did so well against, you know, look, they only did well in the semifinals because they uh, they were playing Oklahoma. They Oklahoma looked like tissue paper against LSU. They really um, did. And so it wasn't like they scored, you know, a moderate amount of points against a bad defense. It had, had they come out in the second half like they came out in the first half, they legitimately would have gone for 100. Oh, yeah, which would have been awesome. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I'll go with that. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, So are the NFL playoffs. Those are going to be fun to watch. Um, But we're getting closer to March Madness, which is, I mean, and there's nothing, there's no regular season um, matchups that are quite, that feel quite as uh, important as conference college basketball, for me at least. Nope, and and once that game ends Monday night, calendar starts really ramping up. Yeah, college basketball schedule a lot of these games, so really looking forward to that. We'll be back next week to break all that down for you and, and look ahead again, go more in depth on some of these conferences uh, and conference races as we'll have some more data points. But for Connor Hope, I'm Brian Ralph. We'll talk to you guys next time.